0: My guest this episode is Forrest Weber, owner of Digitel, Wander Media, and author of Einstein Blogging. Forrest gained early success with his real estate portfolio before jumping into building and acquiring blogging websites run right out of Austin, Texas. We talk about his experience jumping into digital real estate, running a remote team, the success and failure up to this point, which has led him into what he believes is the most exciting space to be a part of, Forrest keeps a tight schedule, so it means a lot to me. He would fit me in to talk about the new digital landscape. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Let's Hear It. We're back for podcast number four. And I am sitting in Austin, Texas with the great Forrest Weber. Uh, this is going to be a really fun episode because it, because it is distinctly different, a different business model um, than the other three that we've done. So Jeremy and Josh Hall were accounting. Uh, Sarah and Alfonso were in the service industry in home health and hospice. Forrest, you are all digital. That's right. All digital, baby. So you are the, uh, your company, Wander Media, offers, you manage a por- portfolio of websites. I'm going to let you explain all of this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So
1: Wander Media is a cool name but it's actually almost a secret entity on the business side. We just own a bunch of websites. We have five that are substantially sized that positive cash flow that fuel the rest of our business. Really for the next Two years, the main services that we perform as a company for clients or customers are either building websites from scratch, which will go under that Wander Media umbrella. So it will become a name that people know. But right now, it's really just kind of a holding company for assets. Digitail.co is the service company that actually works for Wander Media. Does
0: that part make sense? it does and i think the most unique part is hearing that people are buying and flipping websites which is kind of kind of what you do yeah yeah well there's a lot of
1: opportunity for just treating websites that are content as as their own businesses standalone and that's really what people on the internet know me as is just a website operator of income producing websites cuz they make a really high percentage of their sales price revenue so you think about stocks privately traded businesses even build buy then build the price to earnings ratios that assets sell at income producing assets is four to seven years of income with websites it's about 24 months
0: oh 24 okay it's so instead of
1: it's a two p e ratio okay 50 percent
0: annualized return. And that's off uh, 12 Just months the, yeah. trailing? Yep. Looking at 24?
1: Yeah. Okay. They'll often look at a 3, 6, 12-month trailing average. Okay. Just like brokerage real estate.
0: We're going to get into your real estate background, which is so unique because real estate is tangible. I mean, websites are tangible, but uh, brick and mortar versus where you're at now, which is digital. Right. So all of your websites are primarily based around content content for what like can you give us an example of one of the ones that you guys have either built or currently manage yeah well hooked
1: is the first substantially sized blog I ever purchased i bought it in 2018 in january for about 32 times monthly earnings and that was a hundred and seven thousand that was the first substantial acquisition and yeah, we just, our customers, the people that we're serving are just readers, people searching on Google. When we buy websites, we're looking almost always at search traffic. So we're kind of an SEO strong company versus a publication style blog.
0: So you were you bought that website with the intent of producing more content and growing it. Yes. And at what point did you realize that you needed to get into the service process? portion of it which is servicing other businesses or websites or individuals to help them build and grow their websites because they're two different they're two different models of of uh business and i guess revenue
1: yeah exactly um so that's a good question the actual practical side of it was in the last few months but it was early on when i realized that there weren't any people providing services for people like me operators of portfolios that I want to own a growing you know snowballing empire of websites that's just managed by someone who knows what they're doing just kind of like a property manager in real estate.
0: Thanks I wanted for the, the second plug there.
1: <laughs> third I think. <laughs> third. Basically I wanted to find a property manager for web properties and I couldn't find them so I knew I'm gonna to have to be an entrepreneur not an investor, to get in on this asset class that has such phenomenal purchase prices. That's That was the whole vision going in. But I had in the back of my mind, if we master everything internally, maybe other blog owners might want us to work for them. That came true a couple months ago, but it's it really has been something we've
0: thought about for a long time. So you, you couldn't find a business that would help service what you were trying to build. So what does your team look like now? Now we have... Two Filipino full-time workers,
1: four or five full-time in India, one in Eastern Europe, three in the United States, plus a team of about 26 freelancers that
0: are regularly on contract with us but not coming in day to day. What's the style of management? I mean, how are you guys touching base every single day? Do you have a manager for managing all of those folks who are building uh,
1: the various parts of it? Yeah, that's such a good question. I'm going to back into it because I want to start with what I thought it would look like first. Oh, Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, and then, and then segue into what it looks like now. And I think it's a really helpful thing. If anyone out there is actually a blog portfolio operator or owns their own blogs, I think it could help a lot to talk about the various roles attached to it. But originally, I thought this was going to be more or less as easy as managing real estate. Cause my background, I won't get too into it now, but my early background involved setting up a property management and leasing company first to handle student housing. So we kind of did the same process that I had to do in this business in real estate, but I thought that managing these assets would be akin to making some decisions and purchasing services from third parties. Because they are available. They're content agencies. They're backlink agencies. There are agencies out there that serve website owners,
0: but none of them were tailor-fit for bloggers. So you can go and Google how to increase or like SEO. Mm-hmm. I want to get better in, in search results. Mm-hmm. There are those types of things out there, but not any that are specific towards, I'm assuming like Google ads, um, yeah. any of the, maybe you can talk a little bit more about that because you're also pulling a lot more into your website as a blogger or as a content blogger than you might think or that i, w- I would think before we talked. that's are you saying
1: that as a blogger you learn a lot of different trade skill sets and marketing is that what you I, I think that's what i'm saying yes yeah. that's exactly that is one of the epiphanies for why i decided to do what i do with my time now is that you have to learn every single component well you don't have to But if you want to grow and get better and know all that you can to make a website grow, you have to learn everything there is to offer. So bloggers a lot of times end up working really hard on their own thing with their own energy for a few years. And then when they leave that blog behind or sell it, their, their skill sets are insanely valuable. They might move on to be the CMO of a small business and market for that company. Can you get back into that? back into the team.
0: Yeah, back into the team portion. So
1: backing into the team portion, kind of where I left off, I hired someone that was incredibly talented, smart, high on character. And, and for me, I read this book, it's a little bit of a tangent, but I read a book about the three C's of hiring chemistry, competence and character. And that's been in my mind since day one of this company. So this guy had great character very smart, but he wasn't quite competent for the position at the time, which was my fault. It was not his. I put him in this position, you know, I basically told him grow the websites. And it took us about very specific instructions. (laughs) very Exactly. (laughs) I knew it would work. I knew that the asset side was good. The investment side was good. But the actual management operations I had no clue about. So I put someone smart with good character there. And they were doing everything I asked and more but we weren't succeeding at all. We purchased a website that was an e-commerce women's boutique apparel website for 294000 It was revenueing 1000 to 1500 a day when I bought it. And within two weeks, we dropped that to about 80 a day of revenue. And I didn't know what we were doing wrong. And I had this smart, high character, nice person running it. And he ran and hid from the challenge because he was overwhelmed. Again, my fault. But I ended up having to start from scratch and figure out what each role for, you know, I I moved away from e commerce, but with blogs, I had to find out what roles can do what well, write out role descriptions. We talked a little bit about that book. I was going to say,
0: we talked about uh, the e myth revisited. Revisited. Yeah. And I haven't gotten through the whole piece, but a lot of that book is about systems in place. Yes. And so is that where you draw a lot from is making sure that I can't replace, I can't teach somebody character. So as long as I have the right systems in place, you can kind of lean on that.
1: Yeah, you know, I actually was stumped when you said, what's your style, like management style? I think mine is try to architect and engineer systems, processes, and role descriptions really well to drive costs down on labor. That's our style. If, if that is a style, we, I mentioned we have Philippines workers, India workers, Eastern Europe, and then some people based in the United States because we have not found very many successful relationships between us and overseas leaders. We know they exist and that they're there, but as a small business with less than 10 employees, we don't have a huge budget for staff. I try and keep that cost really low. So basically, the leadership side is what I hire in the States. And then the execution of tasks that can be driven really low cost because of standard operating procedures and roles. That's what we do.
0: Were you able to flip that website around? We
1: still own it. Oh, you mean the e-commerce? Yeah. No, I I pulled the plug on the e-commerce business. So it was a $0 you know, it went from 294 to zero. I probably put 50,000 of operational losses into it and went through three or four teams and pulled the plug whenever I sold some real estate to offset capital gains. So I, I harvested the best I could out of it, but no, we we failed. <laughs> <clears throat> and we no longer operate e-commerce businesses in our portfolio. We only do content marketing blogs. Okay, That's why we do it now because we don't have... Right now, we don't have the paid spend team that we need to scale product sales.
0: So let's talk about that. Let's talk about blogging because you and I were talking about, I kind of made light of blogging because I just thought it was, mm-hmm. um, you, I, someone like me, I'll just generalize, normal person, I don't think of blogs as being super relevant anymore. I think maybe a couple of years ago, you would subscribe to a bunch of different blogs. They would hit you when they get updated and you'd read through them. I still have some of those, like they'll hit my mail and they're great, but I very rarely read them. Um, What you're telling me and what you're proving out is it's very much alive and it's actually dominating the internet more than people realize. Am I off on that?
1: No, that's exactly right. I mean, the way I would word it might be a little different, but I think that we're thinking the same thing. Essentially the economy of the world is run by the sale of goods and services and in that process, there's a customer journey from awareness of the good or service all the way down through interest, commitment, decision, purchase. Blogs, although, yes, they have a reputation of being basically personal journals, it's kind of antiquated. Now, 40% of the Internet at least is what's considered blogs. That it's, it's at the top of a marketing funnel that is the first step of someone gaining awareness about something. So... When people now look to gain information in a decentralized world like we have now, where information is available from anyone, a credible source, a non credible source, you can get it out there. When people go search the internet for those answers, they are, I mean, there's some data on this that I may slightly misquote, but stay with me. And content marketing, an organic searcher, has a 14.2% conversion ratio. A paid search, if you just put an ad out and get someone's attention and then try to talk them into buying something they weren't looking for, it's like a 2.7% conversion ratio.
0: Thinking of content bloggers as like the thought leaders, and I'm much more likely to buy something from you if I'm buying it from what I know or think as the, the thought leader.
1: Attention attention's the main thing. Less, yes, authority and credibility are part of it, but... The top of the funnel, those blog posts are oftentimes not written by authoritative, credible writers. They're just written for the robots of Google. And if the robots of Google bring infrastructure to that house, that website house, that business gains customers. Uh,
0: Why don't you turn around and hand me the book that uh, we're going to plug your book that you wrote, uh, I think co-wrote. Yes. Why don't you tell us about the book, why you wrote it, and I didn't get to read the whole thing, but I think a lot of good, the information that you're talking about is in here. Yes. So can you talk to me about writing the book? Yes, absolutely. Or why you wrote it?
1: Yeah. Well, what it is, first off, this book is written specifically for bloggers or to bring awareness to people about what the business of blogging is like as a blog owner. And since we're not on video, what is it called? It's called, oh, yeah, good point. Uh, This book is called Einstein Blogging, Top Secrets to Help You Blog Smarter, Not Harder. And the reason I was able to write this book is because I am not what I would call lazy, but I'm a high-leverage activity person. There you go. (laughs) That's how I define it. So (laughs) I try to work. Well, you're
0: like a digital guy. Yes. So I guess I would think that about it. That's why I'm
1: here, I think. Basically, this blog will help someone understand someone like you, who's kind of unaware of the business of blogging, what it entails, how to do it at all, it helps that person learn how to do it in a way that's manageable, that they can delegate more and more over time and build into a business that they're not stuck in. So I've always I mean, I, my name is on a lot of our blogs. There's something called ghost writers, who write on your behalf, it looks like Forrest writes half a million words a month on the internet. But I don't, I don't write any of them. We have writers that write those and we publish them, but I oversee the whole process. So point being, when people begin a blog, a lot of them know a little bit about how they can turn it into an income, but they don't know how to do it in a smart way that will create a six figure income where they can retire on it. They can walk away and have a team that runs the blog for
0: them. So you've written a book about this. Uh, You own a business, that owns a portfolio of websites and you also are offering service to other people like yourself. Um, Why do you like this business?
1: Mm. I mean, I think when I say I like it, it gives me a lot of energy. When I think about these things and I'm crystallizing the concepts of how to reach people psychologically and whatever stage of the customer journey they're on, but at the same time, building something that is directly answering the questions that people have. Um, There's a phrase that I wrote that sounds cool about what's happening in the world, but I used to use it in my books and stuff. And it's people just think it sounds crazy. But it's the decentralization of what's happening in the world is liberating the whole world because information is power. Knowledge is power. And the internet's the first time in history that people can get access to questions that they have answers about without having to go through an authority, decentralized authority distributing information, but it is liberating people day by day. And every time we write even an article that doesn't seem important, we wrote it because we see that there's a demand for it. We can see how many people per month want these questions answered and we get to go answer them. It's, And I like to tell people about things and inform them about things. I always have. And so it just fits me well.
0: Well, it's it's instant feedback. Yeah. I feel like if you're able to look at that data, you're able to say, listen, people love this. Um, Maybe collect from where they're clicking. I don't know how that would work. But just being able to say, yeah, here's another blog post about what seemed to be interesting to a lot of people.
1: Yes. And I want to just mention it's a sensitive topic. Data is a sensitive topic. Privacy on data is a sensitive topic specifically i'm talking about anonymous data data about masses of people that are looking for a certain kind of i'm not looking at what does jonathan nofsinger look at last month and how can i sell him a product and i'm not saying that i think that's verbatim unethical but i know there's a lot of sensitivity around that and i want to make
0: clear we're not talking about that yep any thoughts on data (laughs) sure (laughs) yeah We, we were talking about data before we pressed record and so yes i think it's a good a good piece for you to talk your thoughts on it running a business that deals with with a lot of data
1: i know and the thing is we could talk about data the rest of the time but it'd be really boring so let's make it kind of quick but there's an author named yuval noah harari who wrote sapiens he wrote 21 lessons for the 21st century and he wrote homo deus he is a israeli historian who's you know i'm in a group called the world future society that is amazing if none of you are in it go look it up but we're kind of all fans of Noah Harari. We we really wanted to get him to come speak at conferences. He's so creative in his thoughts. But the hard thing about booking him for conferences is he goes on like three to six month silent meditation retreats. This is why his thoughts are so creative, because he's not listening and consuming He's not getting bombarded. As much. Yeah. Like all those podcast listeners out there these days <laughs> just yeah. consume. I'm just kidding. But he pointed out in the history of mankind, there's been three major power centers. You have the agricultural revolution, where all the power is in the land, the industrial revolution, where all the power aggregates in equipment and machinery, and then today, all the powers in the data, because artificial intelligence actually understands our consumer purchases better than we do. So his phrase is that AI of the future will know you better than you know yourself. Now, again, sensitive issue data, we're not talking about that with blogs specifically, but what we're talking about is the access to a lot of data that's anonymous and aggregated, like how many people per month search for the question, what is the best book light for reading at nighttime? And so we have a 8,000 word article on Hooked to Books that answers that question and recommends the best products based on thorough research. That is more what a blog is, which is what clicked for you. Maybe you could even share.
0: Yeah. No, I, I, when we were talking about your business and it was just about blogging, I I'd said this before, but I really think of it as something in the past because I always thought about it as somebody who was traveling around the world and they were just blogging about their, you know, stay in a hostel or whatever. Um, but then I started to realize most of the time when I'm searching for something, I'm clicking on, um, Thing. Who was the website that you mentioned? Some of the big ones.
1: Oh, uh, Wikipedia? Well, oh yeah. You mean for information? Oh, it, you yeah, you, like, you like referenced lists. like earlier you were looking for a product, specifically yeah. product
0: reviews. Pro- yeah, top if I'm never going to I'm probably not going to buy anything but an iPhone, but I'm Exactly. would like to stay up to date on like best phones out there, what else is going on, and I'm always going to click on a best phones to, you know, top 5 or top 10, top ten uh phone reviews. And yeah. that's a block. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so it's, it's very interesting to me that it's starting to dominate when, when the old way of, of thinking about it is, is gone. Yeah, I do think that blogging
1: began as sort of a creative outlet for people to talk about themselves, or their life. But as more people started to recognize the opportunities in blogging for content marketing, for products and services, those people came in and provided more structure to how to think about it. And of course,
0: capitalism took over. So you love what you do now. Uh, a little bit different than what you were doing 10 years ago. Yeah. And you've referenced real estate a couple times. Maybe your OG passion or maybe it was just the first thing that that you got into. What were you doing before this?
1: I was doing real estate. Uh- <laughs> the reason I mention it so often is because it shaped the way I think about business. It's not that it's the better way to think. And honestly, it may have flaws that I have yet to find. But the way I set up my business in the first place with real estate was to separate assets and operations. And it's an interesting seesaw because it's the same as a capitalist market, capital and opportunities. And these two have always been in a seesaw effort. I mean, there's a movie called The Requiem of an an American Dream by Naam Chomsky. Have you heard of it? I've heard of Requiem for a Dream. Requiem for a Dream, same, same movie. Oh, Requiem for an American Dream okay. for the American Dream. It's like the death of the American Dream by this noteworthy scholar named Nam Chomsky. I haven't seen that. Okay. Yeah. So my early career was in real estate. I was a finance undergrad, and then I had a master's in real estate. That's mostly finance. I mean, we we graduate to become commercial appraisers mostly. I had this unique opportunity pop up because in my undergraduate uh career I suppose studies one of my professors happened to be a real estate attorney from town from the town that we were going to school in since I was in one of his classes he noticed my passion for spreadsheets as embarrassing as that is to admit and he looked over one of them for me and from then on out he loved me he would give me <laughs> better grades than I deserved. And then he wrote a letter of rec for me for a job interview with someone that I think basically was doing him a favor, a successful broker in town. But when we met up, we had such a similar vision for building assets and businesses together that he decided we should work together. So we decided to develop student housing in the immediate close proximity to campus, Texas a and University, And we happened to do it in a market that was surging upward. The previous two years, I remember reading Forbes had articles about the most undervalued real estate in the nation. And it's why I chose to stay in College Station. Everybody else graduated and went to big cities. I wanted to stay there and try and own real estate because I've always wanted to retire early. I love learning and I love working, but I wanted to do it on things that I really wanted to do. So real estate wasn't exactly something I liked. Never. It was interesting because it was easy math. And on the capital side for supplying our developments with capital, I, was, I showed early promise of convincing capital partners to work with us. So that ended up being a, a valuable position for me to fill
0: at the company. And those guys typically like spreadsheets.
1: Yes. <laughs> well, the spreadsheets really, they were to underwrite the deals and you know confirm that they were actually appropriate for our investors. Um, but at the end of the day,
0: sales runs business. So I was a salesperson. So you did that for five years and decided to walk away and that's how you ended up where you're at today.
1: Yeah, okay. That's a good, pulling me back kind onto of the linear thought. So we had to build a operations side to our real estate from scratch. And that's probably why I had the confidence to do it a second time. You kind of asked me that earlier. Yeah. Yeah. We built management and leasing from scratch and it wasn't what we wanted to do. We wanted to find acquisition opportunities, develop student housing and hand that off to an efficient team that we trusted. We just didn't trust anyone else. So we built our own. Now, The segue here is that as I began looking into investing in websites, I was still thinking about real estate. I was thinking of the website assets as rental properties. When I thought about the growth and the management, I thought about a property management and leasing company. And even as I went hiring people, I even looked for similar psychological profiles for different roles and things like that. So, yeah, I was very much building on everything from before. It's just the websites are, A, more challenging to run because the operations are more complicated and have variances on quality that don't exist in real estate. And B, it's a lot more lucrative. The, I guess that's kind of a cheesy way to end that statement. The cap rates in real estate for commercial property that's what I would consider similar stability are between 6 and 8%. So you have... You know, 15 years to get your money back if they are, are purchased unleveraged. In the website investing space, it takes 24 to 36 months to get your capital back.
0: Do you think that there is a, there's other folks doing what you do? Mm-hmm. Do you think that they're approaching it with the same mindset as you are? Yes.
1: I had a conversation in July with a private equity firm in Asia that was eager to give me $1.5 million to invest in website assets, but they ended up choosing a different operator because we didn't have Digital ready yet, basically.
0: You could you didn't have the business ready to service the, yeah. websites, the assets that you were buying.
1: Yeah, but verbatim quotes from the New York City capital firm who was on the call with Asia with me was, there's no investment class in the universe like this. And I, I agree. That's why a lot of people are getting into the space.
0: Yeah, that's just wild.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, I will say just because I'm excited about it, the, the interesting thing is that people are buying these websites that are such lucrative returns, but every one of them, and we'll talk more about this later, is a content marketing asset worth 15 times more than what we're paying. I mean, it's worth 15 times more if you leverage it into a product and service funnel. If you loop it if into you an exi- loop it in with strategy and thought, it is way more valuable than the ad space you're
0: selling. The assets are undervalued or how they're being used is, is not being equated into what the valuation is. Perfect. Okay, speaking of real estate, you remember highest and best use yeah. of a
1: land? That's the same thing with websites. Their highest and best use is employed in a great marketing funnel for a business. And in the long run, I would like to help the market discover and create a marketplace for that with businesses where we're selling them, basically convert their operating expense of of marketing digital marketing to a capital expense which would transform tax structure and everything i think that should happen let's not get too into that yet but the point is i think that these websites are undervalued from a lot of angles but yeah their highest and best use is something other than what they're used for so they're priced this other way
0: do you work with your service the service portion of your business works with a individual's and businesses, in the small business world, even if they're not dealing with hundreds or thousands of individuals or you know, targeting those companies, is it still important? Is your service still important to small businesses is probably my real question.
1: If they recognize the value in it, then it's an easy sell. If they don't, yes, it's still value. It's just hard for them to see it. So essentially, everyone that sells anything has some sales and marketing process. The blogging business gave me a lot of insights into where the top of funnel is for people and where they're looking to, you know, find answers to questions that ultimately lead them down that customer journey. People talk about the marketing funnel, and I won't go into a lot of it, but blogging has helped me understand the cheapest, most efficient ways to access ideal audiences, potential ideal customers, potential ideal clients. And we serve businesses and individuals that want to find those people in the most efficient way in the world. And that's what digital real estate is all about. Digital highways is building the infrastructure that we see in the real world, just building it digitally and finding them cheaper and more efficiently. So no more cold calling? No more cold calling except by artificially intelligent voice robots. There's actually a company near Chicago that if you talk to them for 60 minutes on the phone can then take scripts and you can be impersonated perfectly by a robot. The president of the United States, his voice may now be being falsified. <laughs> it's a true story. This was a year and a half ago. I'm,
0: yeah. I'm going to look into that. I, well, you, there was, I think it's in your book where the leading con, the leading, um, marketing contact site or the top, like one of the top five was done by a bot. Yeah. So you've, you're have you running multiple businesses. Um, What are you up to? I mean, what does your day-to-day look like?
1: Yeah, I mean, most of my time is spent on leadership and sales and marketing. So we have a team I'm really proud of. They are exceptional leaders themselves. I don't mean I'm a better leader. I just mean we put attention on what areas of the business are causing stress. And my job as I view it in those conversations is – I attempt to recognize problems and try to help them fix them. Um, I won't talk too much about another book, but there's a book called The One-Minute Manager that explains the process of inviting people in and quickly redirecting them. But the important parts are that there's a consistent routine place that people have access to a leader for them. There's even companies that are you know, mentors for CEOs. I basically try to help them as best as I can by coming alongside and leading stuff. Sales and marketing is really exciting for me because I've spent most of my career doing sales and marketing for other people's businesses, and I've always felt a little bit dependent upon people with great high-margin businesses because I see this opportunity as a sales marketing future-oriented thinker. I see opportunity, but I'd never had a product or service to sell myself because I wasn't doing it in the same way I am now. So basically I'm spending most of my time now productizing our services, making sure everything's going
0: smoothly and then selling and marketing those services which I finally have to offer people. Well, it's no secret that low margin businesses are just notoriously tough. You've got to kind of elbow your way through operations and there's less dollars left over for the things that you do, which is you know, spending money to get i guess spending more on a customer acquisition yeah um i do want to ask you uh, can i can backtrack here yeah um as a buyer what is how do you where's your deal flow come from good question there's a few really large brokers
1: that have marketplaces that sell income producing websites and they sell everything software sales content websites they'll sell e-commerce there's some people who even sell service-based digital companies too. So each broker has kind of a forte. But EmpireFlippers.com, uh, the microacquisition side, I've looked at a little bit, but we don't
0: buy that smaller deals now. We just we just start them from scratch. Yeah, I did hear his last name is tough, Andrew Kisecki. I heard him on a yeah. pod recently. Yeah, I he did micro acquire.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Same. Are we talking about the same website? I think yeah. so. I
1: think we are. And then there's um. Uh there's a new one that came out that's called Investors Club. Investors.club, which is my personal favorite. Andre Islail, or I can't pronounce his last name either. But he used to run kind of a private equity portfolio of websites, and then he parlayed into a brokerage. And he is
0: doing things, in my opinion, much better than anyone else. All right. We are at the end here. So for those listening who could benefit from your service. So if it's a small business looking to expand their reach, help with the top of their funnel, what's the best place for them to contact you?
1: I think the easiest is just go to forestweber.com, two R's in Forest, two B's in Weber, and there's a contact form. There's also specific inquiries about specific services. And I mean, you asked earlier, but a brief landscape of everything I'm doing we do on the portfolio. Yeah, p- pull it all together for us. Yeah, I'll kind of tie it all in.
0: <laughs> we've, mentioned, we've mentioned your, your business, uh, your service-based business, your business you're running, which is acquiring companies, and then your book. So pull, yeah. pull it all together for me and everybody else.
1: So personally, you know, my investment of time with clients is just consulting. I go do consultations and find out what they need, and then I direct the team. To fulfill orders based on if they need content, which could be blog posts, content marketing, email marketing. We do backlink outreach, so outreach-based link building. Links are basically the infrastructure of the internet. The bigger highways you have, the more people come. But we build links by outreaching to publications, writing articles on behalf of our clients, and then there's a link or two back from... But, you know, a domain with authority that builds authority to their site. We also do SEO audits, which is search engine optimization. Look through your website. Make sure everything's working as well as it can. Make suggestions for the future, which most of them we can execute if, if you'd like. And we do keyword research. So that's finding out what demand there is for certain content and how to build that into your business model. And that's
0: your consulting piece.
1: That's our agency plus forest directing the agency on how to how to perform the marketing work. Okay, and then we have our Wonder Media portfolio. There is a vision over the next twelve months to create sort of a landing place that celebrates bloggers who blog for business to show the world what that is, and we will sell prepackaged websites for people who want to get started but accelerate that progress a lot quicker.
0: And it's been. Super informative for me, kind of understanding the space, and I so appreciate you joining me. Man, it was a lot of fun, and thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks again, Forrest.